0: to your team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Team Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens.
1: And today we are talking with Dr. Karen Adderson and Vanessa kroll Bennett. Both of them are co-hosts of the Puberty Podcast about a potentially obvious subject: puberty and our teens. What a delightful subject. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, we're going to talk about our own experiences, having gone through collectively eight times of puberty.
0: Well, um, not our ten, own. Ten, if you not count each our own. <laughs> own.
1: Yeah, we, I, well, I wasn't counting our own in this story. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the conversation was amazing. I hope all of you are going to agree. But I will say that some of what I heard, I had never heard before, and mm. never used the words before. So I'm just going to start. First of all, I want to make our producer, Hannah, happy. So I'm going to start by telling you, I'll start with two things that I've never said to my kids. So I never, ever talked to my boys about testicular enlargement. There you go, Hannah. And Mm -hmm. I've never talked to my three girls about, well, I've never used the word vulva when I spoke to my daughters about their bodies. So I kind of... I I feel, like, I guess grateful that they seem to be healthy people, but, like, I don't know. How does someone get comfortable with something that never, like, that conversation never took in place in my house? Did it in your
0: stuff? No. You know where it took place? <laughs> it's not even the conversation. The word vulva took place one time, and it was at the end of the Seinfeld episode when he, rem- do you remember this? He knows that her name rhymes with a female part of the anatomy. And he keeps trying to come up with it. And at the end of the episode, he yells out the window. He's like, Mova! <laughs> I remember? Do you remember it? No. Nope. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, anyway, but no. No, none of those conversations. And I felt like when we were speaking to them, which our guests will hear, I actually felt like it was my puberty. Con- like, the talk I, I never got. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I finally got that somebody gave me the puberty talk. Um, yeah. Uh, again, I just I really failed on
1: this one. I don't know how I could say to my to either of my sons, like, so what do you, What did you do when you got an erection? What was your plan? I, I just I never had the conversation with them. I don't know how I would have then or now. I, I don't know. I really don't yeah. know. And I like, did you ever have that conversation? No, I guess I didn't, no. So it's a funny thing. I guess there's an underground world that boys learn about the things that we don't know about. I mean, I'm going to ask my husband, but I doubt that was a conversation he had. Like, it wasn't like I went to take my girls to buy a bra and he bought them a book <laughs> so they could either I don't think that happened, but I'm going to have to check it with him. Okay, here's, <laughs> here's what I, here's the big difference I see right now. And I don't understand it because I know... Self-image is so down for girls. Like, social media has really affected it. But when I grew breasts, my sweatshirts just kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> exactly. Because the last thing I wanted was for someone to notice that I had grown breasts. When my girls and their friends grew breasts, their shirts got tighter because they had breasts. Totally. And they wore it proudly. They just wore it very differently. And so, I don't know. It's such a, like... To me, it it should mean that they're so totally comfortable with their bodies.
0: I know. Does it mean that? I know, I think that all the time because it's the same, I've had the same observation and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I would hope if it meant that, I'd be like, Yay, for women. Not sure it means that.
1: Well, there's only evidence that it doesn't mean that. So maybe in some ways they're more comfortable with their breasts, but not with their whole with their whole body. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's like maybe their weight they're more self-conscious about. I don't know what it is, but I know like br- budding breasts were not an issue. There was a certain pride and like ownership of it that I just wanted to hide from.
0: Oh, uh, yes. Yes. I mean, think about, I'm thinking like back to college and obviously- before that, but the sweaters, everything we wore, it was turtlenecks. I mean, so many layers, you know, <laughs> it looks so different than girls today. I mean, it just well, so and showing your it's bra, laughable.
1: Showing what? your bra, wearing your bra, like it's an item of clothing that's visible. Like
0: totally. that was so
1: humiliating if your bra strap was showing. Oh my
0: God. Cause the whole world would know you were wearing a bra. Cause you had breasts. Cause like, you had it breasts. It all
1: went together. And, yes. and now, you wear a tank over a bra where you see the whole bra.
0: Absolutely. And we, like lots of color too. Like there's no, like if we wore a black shirt, it was like a black bra, right? Like anything to camouflage whatever you were wearing. Yeah, yeah. That, now that's it's great. like, oh, I'm wearing white. Let me put on a
1: floral whatever. Right. I would say that there was so much shame around growing breasts when I was going through puberty and I didn't feel that with my girls, which I, I do wish translated to body positivity. And I don't know where the line shifts for yeah. them, but we know that's not true. So maybe it's cracking one nut at a time. Maybe that's a bad <gasps> choice of words. Maybe. You can't <laughs> use that analogy.
0: Hannah, <laughs> you take that out.
1: <laughs> maybe it's like just um, eroding one perception at a time. And so right now... Breasts have really become very normalized and it's not a big deal. And then maybe it just keeps going so that at some point it just feels comfortable. And there's tremendous uh, body positivity. I don't know. I'm going to hope for that one. I thought it would be really important to address PMS, but um, not as much as it affected my life. Let's just put it there. So um, I like, like, you know how when I have a cup of coffee that is caffeinated, everyone in the world can tell. That's how I was before getting my period. Like, there was nobody who wondered, gee, what's going on with Sue? (laughs) Anyway, yeah, really serious PMS. How about you?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's hard to remember, but yes. (laughs) I do remember, especially as a teenager, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Like, I just remember just all of it. The cramps and leading up and being so moody and oh my god! Also, how much oh.
1: worry about bleeding through? Like, oh, how much like the the oh fear my of that? Yeah, but um, I oh my would god. say that mine mine went well past like childbirth, and um, and menopause fixed it. Thank God, that's really wonderful. But um, yeah, it it really is disruptive in your life. Oh my god, mine, e- mine, and my, e- everyone uh, around god. me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, I, I have a friend whose husband used to come home, grab the kids, and go, quick, let's run away from mom. (laughs) I always thought if Dan did it, he'd be dead. That would not go over well with me. Yeah, totally.
0: I was thinking um, that would not end well for Todd either. Yeah. yeah. But But it is a funny thing, right? (laughs) It's very funny when it's not sewer stuff for 100%. <laughs> yeah,
1: warning to husbands, don't count on that working. Exactly,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> All right. Anything else we didn't cover that you want to talk about?
0: No, I'm just excited that we have them on the podcast. There's so much good information and just a way to tee that up when it really feels... So overwhelming, just you know the words they use and how to approach it, and just I don't know, it just feels very no nonsense and natural, kind of like past the salt, even though that was not my own personal experience.
1: Okay, so here's a topic that we we don't talk about with Vanessa and Kara, but it is a puberty issue. Um, so masturbation, it's kind of like that thing that I don't know. We just really don't talk about it a lot at your teen. I think we talked about it when we, I can't remember who we talked to. I think we did talk about it in a recent podcast, but um, I don't know. Did you, did you address it in your house? I'm saying, I don't know a lot because I'm so uncomfortable about it. Let's talk about something that makes me super uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, I feel like, I feel like Todd addressed it with the boys and I addressed it with Lane. Wow. You get an A plus. Really good. Okay, that's, yeah, we might nothing there. Get a D though. I have to confirm that. I'm or an F. <laughs> really, not even a D. Why would it be a D? It would be. I, I feel like this conversation. You okay. I think this conversation is pass/fail. I, I think. Okay. We, so let's
1: you, let's do a little quiz. We're going to do a, a quick quiz about the things that we the grade we give ourselves on the different topics. Okay. So okay, let's let's that's say. Good. Okay. So let's talk about first and foremost. Were you good at telling your kids about sex?
0: Are we going pass/fail?
1: Yeah. Pass fail. Okay. I'll
0: go pass. I'm going to go pass also. Okay. But
1: I'm pretty close. I might be close to fail, but I'm still in the pass <laughs> range. But either I'm, pass I'm okay or fail it.
0: doesn't matter. Yeah.
1: Right. It doesn't matter. Still passed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so next thing we're going to talk about um, talking about body changes during puberty.
0: Mm, I might maybe fail.
1: I think I'll pass with girls, fail with boys. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay.
1: I think I probably didn't know what to say. Exactly. I don't think that. I know that. I know that. <laughs> I didn't know. Okay. So the next thing, let's talk about uh, when is the first time? How old were you? This is not a pass fail. Okay. How old were you the first time you used the word testicular growth? Wait, was that the word? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. How old
0: were you when oh. you first used the word testicular enlargement? I was 52, 11 months and a couple days. Yeah, so that, would Six, <laughs> that would be last week.
1: 60. That would be this week. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Okay, we'll put one other word out there. How old were you when you first <gasps> used the word vulva? Articulated out loud, not when you first knew it.
0: Am I might cool go with the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about it. Oh, uh, well, I'm to go with
1: I, mine is um, earlier because I watched Sex Education and Love the Cupcakes. So, yes. I, I, but that is within this year. So we're yeah. still talking 60. Yeah. yeah. Okay, one last question. <laughs> This is a pass-fail one. Did you talk to your boys and girls about masturbation?
0: I think we pass on this one.
1: Eh, for me. <laughs> a fail for me. <laughs> okay. You know what? And now you have the Boris and Silverman scorecard on sex education.
0: Well, here's the thing. We, maybe, we, <laughs> maybe we can make it up and get our kids off the hook and say, we're going to do this for our grandkids.
1: Oh, that's a great idea. That is a great idea. I think my kids are better equipped to do it though. I feel <laughs> confident that they are better equipped to do this than I was. They, First of all, they have had sex education, the TV show and watched yes. it and loved it. So they've already had the transformation that took me till 60. So I'm putting my money on them. I don't yeah. need to step
0: in. I think I'm with you on that one.
1: So that was really fun. And now you are in for a much better treat with our conversation with Dr. Karin Adderson and Vanessa Kroll-Bennett.
0: We can't wait for you to join us. Thanks so much for checking it out. Do you ever
1: feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch? Or that tension is constantly traveling through your body? Or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep? That's just a few of the many ways stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness can harm your mind
0: and body. So this year, why not make small changes to your daily routine that can have a big influence on your mental health and well-being? Start your year with Headspace.
1: Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, two
0: weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. And I know for sure that
1: I need to reduce my stress. My stress is a running reel in my brain that doesn't stop about things I'm anxious about, about things I'm not anxious about, about stupid things that I don't know why I'm thinking about them. And when I sit down and turn on Headspace, I do get this feeling of a clear brain, a brain that is calmer. I feel less
0: anxious. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash your teen and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash your today. Headspace.com slash your
3: History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted,
1: Today are Dr. Cara Natterson and Vanessa Kroll Bennett, co hosts of the Puberty Podcast. Their podcast weaves together scientific research, parenting strategies, and hilarious stories to help guide adults who are raising kids through puberty. Each episode takes on one piece of this messy journey, offering both kids and adults practical, actionable advice. Cara and Vanessa, thank you so much for being with us. So, today we are going to talk about puberty. And we know it's inevitable. In fact, it's a good thing, right? Like we want our kids to hit puberty and yet we're surprised and unprepared. Why is that?
2: Every time, right? We're surprised every time. Well, first of all, hi, Sue, and thank you for having us. It's Cara, I'm here with Vanessa. Why are we surprised by puberty? Because in part, it really marks the path to adulthood in a very real and tangible way. And parents sometimes feel like they're saying goodbye to their little babies when they see their bodies start to transform. By the way, that's not the case. They are little babies when their bodies start to transform. <laughs> so you don't have to feel that way even though you might feel that way.
4: I I would also add that kids are starting puberty earlier than they used to. So for those of us who are middle aged we started puberty on average about two years later than kids are starting puberty these days. So in some ways, parents are surprised because they were expecting these changes two years later than they're actually happening. And there's a little bit of denial, as Cara mentioned, the, the sort of grief and sadness of our kids growing up and then eventually, you know, leaving us hopefully. I sh- Maybe I shouldn't say hopefully. It's hopefully in, in my mind. But on the other hand, it's also the shock that our eight-year-old daughters have breast buds or are... 10-year-old sons are, are showing other
2: signs of, of puberty. They smell really, really bad. <laughs> they smell bad. Their feet that. smell bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold your nose for a minute. So let's, <laughs> Vanessa, let's stay on that theme um, about age. When do kids start going through puberty? And is it harder to be early or late? So that's the eternal question, the early or
4: late, which is harder. And we'll get back to that. On average, girls enter puberty around the age of eight. Now and boys enter puberty around the age of nine or 10, but it also can vary depending on race and ethnicity. So it's not a hard and fast number. What's interesting is for girls, the average age of menstruation, of first period, is actually not much different than it was when we all began menstruating. It's about It was about 12 and a half when we were menstruating, and it's about 12 years, three months these days. So while girls um, are developing breast buds or kids are smelly or hairier earlier than we expected, menstruation is actually not starting much earlier.
2: Yeah, and said another way, you know, it's not that everything's getting faster, although everything is kind of getting faster, it's that everything is going slower, right? Because if we entered puberty a couple of years later than our own daughters do, um, our puberty went much faster. And this, the length of this stage of life is stretching out. Instead of it being two or three or four years, it's the better part of a decade, which no one is thrilled about. The kids are not (laughs) thrilled about it and the parents are not thrilled about it because the moods, right? The moods. So, but you know, you asked, which is the harder end to be on? And I'm just going to quote my college roommate who used to sit around the dining hall and say, I was an early bloomer and that was so hard. And you were a late bloomer and that was so hard. And all my friends who are right on time told me that was so hard. <laughs> so there are just trials and tribulations to going through puberty no matter when you go through it.
4: And I would just add that typically the earliest bloomers are biological females, and the latest bloomers are biological males. And so the the early bloomer late bloomer divide and challenge is often divided amongst where what they are sort of, what their gender is genetically. Um, and so we know many stories about girls who develop breasts first um, and are six inches taller than everybody else in their class. And we know lots of stories about boys who are a foot shorter than everyone else in their grade with no hair anywhere to speak of. So it is it is typically along gender lines, which makes it um, – kind of more obvious because um, it really calls out those particular folks.
0: All right. So for girls, we see breast development, right? But for boys, we don't see testicular enlargement. Do we need to talk about this so they don't think that something is wrong? And can you help our parents who are listening with those
2: words? Okay. So Um, What you're referring to is that the first physical sign of puberty in most genetic females is the development of breast buds. That's when um, there is sort of a lump about the size of a stack of four or five dimes that pops up underneath the nipple, and often only on one side. Don't be shocked. So um, that's the first sign in most genetic females. The first sign of puberty in most genetic males is actually testicular enlargement, which... You're right. We don't see because they get very private at this stage. Not all. Um, you know. Vanessa and I always say that there are people in the audience who have nudists running around their house and they are (laughs) so lucky because they know exactly where their kids are in puberty. But for the most part, as genetic males are starting to go through body transformation, that's also when they're starting to get really private, shut their door and cover up. So they might see but we don't see. Then you have to add to that, that they might see, but it might not register for them. Part Mm. of it is that the growth of testicles is so slow. It takes a couple of years between when the testicles start to grow and mature, and when they're really sort of pumping out a lot of the testosterone that's gonna be responsible for all of the physical changes of puberty, because that's the testosterone factory is the testicle so you don't need to worry. But for parents who think their boys are late to puberty and they don't see any externalizing features, they just don't think their kids are in it, go see your pediatrician because your pediatrician can do a physical exam. And then that pediatrician can say, yeah, the testicles have already started growing. Or you know what? The testicles haven't started growing and we need to look into that. Even I did not examine my own son's testicles. So if I didn't do it, then <laughs> none of you should do it. And Car, can you say
4: a word about um, swollen nipples in biological males oh, for yeah. people? Because I think um, people don't realize that it's actually very common for boys to have swollen nipples and it, Because they think it's not normal, they worry about it and
2: they're self-conscious about it. So can you just give us a little science on that? Yeah, so everyone has estrogen and everyone has progesterone in their bodies. Estrogen is the dominant hormone that drives female uh, body maturation, so sexual maturation, And testosterone is the dominant hormone that drives male sexual maturation. But everyone's got a little of both. And there are a lot of other hormones in the mix too. But since everyone has a little of both, the tissues that are sensitive to estrogen might respond to that estrogen no matter what your gender. And that is why 50%, half of all genetic males have some breast development during puberty. And sometimes it's a little lump under one nipple or both nipples. And sometimes it's actual breast development where they develop a small breast on one side or both, which if they are not prepared for can be very frightening.
1: <laughs> okay. Here's the next question. And I'm embarrassed to say that I did not know for way too long that everyone looked different I'd never had the, no one had had the conversation with me and I therefore did not have the conversation with my kids. However, thank you, sex education teaching me that vulvas look different. And if you haven't seen the show, you should see it. We're always plugging it. But a girl makes cupcakes to show everybody that vulvas look different. And also there's, I think there's an artist who did like a wall of vaginas or something. And that was going around. And, and it was just so interesting. How do you live a whole life and not know this information? So now that we know it, how do we make sure that our kids know it, that they feel comfortable with it? I, I mean, you could tell me to tell them, but I don't know what that looks like.
4: So my favorite metaphor to use with um, younger kids, and frankly, most people don't even talk about vulvas, right? There's vagina and penis if you're lucky, but the external female organs are vulvas um, and the internal is the vagina. I like to compare them to snowflakes that there are no two snowflakes that are the same. And that is true also of vulvas. And what that does, Sue, is it kind of like removes the like gross factor and the yucky factor and makes it something unique and cool and special rather than like shameful and embarrassing and something we don't talk about. There's actually entire Instagram accounts devoted to vulvas And um, the different shapes of vulvas, there's a wonderful um, account called iHeartGuts, which does all (laughs) different kinds of organs in the body, including a lot of reproductive organs. Um, So it's a great way to show kids that everybody's different without (laughs) actually showing them actual pictures of vulvas, if that doesn't feel comfortable. That
1: feels like really good marketing, the gut. It it is, (laughs) but a
2: a big asterisk, right? Because... We got to use the language. Vanessa loves the word vulva and she loves the phrase vaginal discharge. And there's a reason why she loves it because it's clear and it's communicative and it describes what that body part is or what's happening inside the body. So when (laughs) Vanessa teaches. The snowflake metaphor, she does not say your snowflake might be, and then fill in the blank, right? Because a lot of people do, they grab onto the metaphor because it's easier than using the real language. So it's not your snowflake, it's your vulva.
4: And what it does is by using the word casually, like on a repeated basis, your vulva does this, your vulva looks like this, this is what's part of your vulva, it removes the shame for the kids because I'm just using it like your elbow and your nose and your ear. And also, I start using those terms with younger kids um, in my own home as you know, little, little kids. The kids that I educate are eight and nine, and they're not old enough yet to feel shame about those body parts. They haven't been socialized to be like, oh, vulva, that's so gross. Or vaginal discharge. I talk about vaginal discharge with them, and they're like... Oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's okay. Now I understand. Whereas if I get 16-year-olds or 45-year-olds or 60-year-olds, they want to like climb under the table and like cover their ears and go, na, 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 na. So part of, yeah, sometimes they do. But so part of it is getting to them earlier rather than later before they can develop that sense of shame and embarrassment.
0: All right, let's talk about moodiness, specifically premenstrual moodiness. Is there any way to avoid it? Beat the hormones? (laughs) Talk to us about that.
2: So one of our favorite researchers is a woman named Louise Greenspan. And she wrote this amazing book called The New Puberty that talked about why kids were going into puberty earlier. And she has this great line that says, really, the first sign of puberty is a slamming door. Oh, that's good. I love that, right? Because what she's getting at is that When hormones begin to circulate through the body, they don't stop at the neck. They circulate through the brain as well. And they really impact the way the neurons fire in the brain, which means they impact the way we feel. And so given that, then you can begin to understand why, especially as uh, biological females are starting to have their periods and there are surges in hormones. LH and FSH surge up, then they drop. Estrogen and progesterone surge up, then they drop. All of those surges are happening everywhere in their bodies, and they're not used to the feeling of that chemical stew in their brain. And it really does impact the way they respond emotionally. By the way, uh, genetic males... They also have hormones circulating above the neck, so surges in testosterone have very real impacts on their behavior and their mood. But I think it's important to recognize that PMS—you know—it has, it, it sort of has a rep, right? And it's not a good rep. Um, and it became a, a a very interesting kind of trash bag of excuses for a whole bunch of behaviors. And that's not what it is. What it is is the brain learning how to manage the feeling of surging hormones. And sometimes it's really hard for kids who don't know how to anticipate it or don't know how to manage it, especially in a maturing brain. It's hard for them to keep their emotions under control. So Vanessa and I talk a lot about strategies that parents can use to help their kids take control.
4: I like to help kids kind of track, not just track their periods, which also really helps. We encourage kids um, and adults to track their periods because it helps explain what's going on. Like, oh, I'm four days out from getting my period. Maybe that's why I'm in a crummy mood and want to eat chocolate. Um, But also it allows them to begin to learn their own bodies. And there's any number of reasons why we want our kids to be able to understand their bodies and how it connects to their emotions, their feelings, their um, ability to focus, their tiredness, all of those things, right? Because as adults, we slowly but surely figured out what our bodies were reacting to, how we were responding, were we nervous, anxious, stressed, excited, all of those things. And we want our kids to build those skills As early as they can because that self-knowledge gives them so much information. So rather than a premenstrual child, rather than saying to them, oh God, you're such a pain in the neck. Can you just stop crying and complaining and like go deal with yourself? It might sound something more like hey, kiddo, I'm noticing that like there's a lot going on for you. Do you want to just like sit and take a minute and maybe take a few deep breaths, have a cup of tea, and then we can maybe revisit this conversation, right? Because as we always say about hormones, the kids can't really help it. And it's our job to help them navigate that roller coaster of emotions.
0: That's good. It's much better than my, you'll take this out, Hannah, than my telling daddy turns into an asshole every 30 days. It's probably a better strategy.
1: And well, while we're seeing what you're taking out, I'll just tell you that um, menopause was the first time I didn't have PMS, and my house was much happier. And my <laughs> kids, my daughters I mean, when you, it, it, it's, we all just kind of run away from whoever's about to get their period. And if they're living near each other, it's all of them at once. They're, they're hell. So it's, I don't know. I mean, it didn't matter how many strategies I had for me. <laughs> So Kara, are there any things that we can do to kind of manage the symptoms of what we're dealing with for PMS? If if it's in fact, I mean, some people don't really have serious reactions to getting their period, but some people really do. So is there anything you can do?
2: Yeah, well, let me just start by saying to the adults who don't quite believe in PMS as a thing, um, anyone who has been pregnant and then delivered a baby and then had sudden drops in hormones and felt those emotional roller coasters, that is not terribly dissimilar to what it feels like in the brain of a tween or teen who's just getting used to the roller coaster of these surging and dropping hormones in in their own bodies. So that often helps adults build some empathy for the kids um, because it's really easy to blow it off and just say, ah, you're fine, you're fine. I've had my period for 40 years, you're fine. When in reality, this is all new to them. So there are some things that people can do. I think acknowledging the fact that there is a chemical reason why you feel the way you feel is critical. It's critical and reducing the stress around it. So doing some of the things that Vanessa described, giving your kids permission to take a break, allowing them to cry or just to be a little bit emotional. Those are all ways to kind of reduce the stress, which actually reduces cortisol surges in the body, which has a real physiologic impact. There are some kids who end up taking oral hormones to level out the ups and downs of these surges. So um, when you take hormones by mouth or as a patch, or um, what it does is it sort of keeps a, a more steady balance of the hormones. So the highs are less high and the lows are less low. It is the shift in hormone level much more than the absolute hormone level itself that causes this feeling of moodiness, or um, we call it in medicine emotional lability. And so, those are things that people can do to help. But, first, th- second, and third step acknowledge and offer some tools for how to take a break when your emotions have the best of you. Does exercise make a difference? Huge difference. And thank you for asking that. Um, We know exercise has hormonal impacts. Um, We know it impacts cortisol. Um, It also has mood impacts. I i am a much nicer person when I exercise. It's just, for me, it's part of what keeps me feeling balanced. So if that's part of your routine, continue it. If it's not part of your routine, try to find a form of exercise that works for you, that makes you feel mentally good.
4: One of the challenges for athletes, um, particularly like tweens and teens who are not yet using tampons, for instance, is that um, competing in pads can be really uncomfortable, right? So playing a 90-minute soccer game or if you're a swimmer. um, And there are wonderful new products out there like period underwear, which can be highly absorbent. And if your kid's not wearing a tampon, they can use that instead of wearing a pad when they're competing or period bathing suits, um,
2: which can absorb the menstrual fluid. The other How amazing is, is that, Vanessa, that there are period yeah, I mean, bathing suits? Like, we just have to take a second. That is a life changer for an entire generation.
4: menstrual cups? Menstrual cups are so those? So, menstrual cups are really popular amongst um, millennial and Gen Z menstruators. Um, for those of us who've been managing our periods in other ways, menstrual cups are a little complicated logistically. Um, and... <laughs> Also, you need to be somewhere where you can like... It's (laughs) as if you took the wrong bus somewhere. It's such a funny... The way you said it was so funny. Yeah, well, it's interesting because logistics play a huge part in kids' puberty, particularly menstruators, because think about it. It requires so much logistical planning, right? It's like having the products, having a place to change in and out of the products. If you're using a menstrual cup, the challenge is cleaning it out and reinsertion. And if you take out a menstrual cup and the menstrual fluid gets all over your hands, having a place where you can wash your hands, right? Like there's a lot of, what if you leak? What if you spill? I mean, there's a lot <laughs> yes. of logistical challenges. So menstrual cups are popular. I think um, they can be challenging in terms of like all of those considerations. Um but the other thing I was going to say is for athletes who are performing, it's really great to notice how you perform depending where in your cycle it is. So like I work out every day of the week and the days when I am at my heaviest menstruation, it's a, it's a slower exercise than on the days when I am not menstruating, because I find I'm, t- I'm more tired. Um, there's ability to lift more weight or less weight, depending on where you are in your cycle, your well, speed, all of that And stuff. you're
2: tired because you've actually lost some blood and blood, red blood cells carry oxygen to the tissues and the muscles. And it's the oxygen that makes us feel that we can use those muscles um, really aggressively. So you're tired for good reason There are a lot of people who in the first couple of years of having their period will bleed for many, many days, not just the average of four to seven, but nine or 10 or 11. And they might have a period not every four weeks, but every two and a half to three weeks. And so you can imagine the cumulative blood loss is actually pretty significant. So for parents who have kids like that, you definitely want to talk to a doctor, but you also want to make sure your kid is getting a lot of iron in their diet
1: we don't talk about this a whole lot. How about boys and erections? And I want to reference sex education because again, not, well, not again, I've never been a boy, um, but I also didn't know that boys have techniques to hide their erections. And in sex education, the boy is walking around with a book at all times to hide himself. Is is that a strategy that all boys, there's a code for it, all boys know it, or is is that just TV?
4: So, you know, we were talking about logistics for people who menstruate. So there are a whole host of logistical worries that people with penises have. And that is, um, one of them is a spontaneous erection at an inconvenient moment, at an inconvenient Place. So, for instance, our producer on the Puberty podcast talked about how his mom used to rush him out of the car when she dropped him off at school in the mornings when he was in high school, except he often, for some reason, had an erection when he was getting ready to get out of the car. And she was like hurrying him. And he didn't know how to say to her, hey, mom, (laughs) you got to give me a second because like I got to let my erection come down. So instead, he just sort of like waddled off, I think, with a jacket over the front of his pants. So um, it is a concern. Boys, I think, eventually get some advice and some guidance about it. Parents. So our producer's advice to parents out there was like, If your kid is like weirdly asking for more time at weird moments, like think (laughs) about maybe they're dealing with an erection and they don't know how to tell you.
2: Yeah, and it's really normal to get spontaneous erections all day long, which is really something that people who don't have penises never consider. So every 45 to 90 minutes is a typical cycle and doesn't happen for years and years and years, but it definitely happens through certain periods of puberty. And one strategy that um, most people who don't live with a penis don't know about, but it's a really great strategy, is that you can tuck it into your underpant band at 12 o'clock. And that is a very easy, quick remedy.
4: And- So you might also notice that your boys at a certain age um, are asking for different underwear. And because the underwear they have is loose and it doesn't keep their penis um, kind of down or away or whatever it is. And before you get annoyed at them and tell them that you just bought them new underwear a few months ago and why do they need new underwear, you might want to think about saying huh, that's interesting. Why Why are you asking for new underwear? And it might be an opportunity for them to say to you, I keep getting these boners and I don't know what to do with them and I'm kind of hoping different underwear will help me with that. So, you know, it's tempting to get irritated because we just spent all this money, but sometimes kids look for... um different ways to solve these issues without actually presenting us with the specific I got to
1: say, I think of everything we talked about today, that is the first time I've heard anything like that. And I just feel so lucky that you are on here today, putting it out there for <laughs> especially moms who like, why would we know this? Right?
0: So thank you. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did not make the mom handbook that one. So thank you. Uh, So we're going to wrap this up with uh, what we ask all of our guests, which is what is the biggest myth about raising teenagers?
2: Uh, I can start. You start. I'll go next. I think the biggest myth is that they don't want to know and that they want to close their ears Mm. and la, la, la their way through puberty and the emotional and social transformations. These are highly motivated people who are living in the middle of a series of transformations, and they want information so that they can have the smoothest, easiest sort of process, decade possible. And so conversations, and Vanessa and I talk endlessly about the importance of conversations. Conversations are one really big way to get to information, and that's, that's what they tell us they want.
4: I think the biggest myth is that teenage boys don't have strong emotions, don't have heartache, don't have sensitivity or hurt. I think it's a myth that teenage boys aren't loving and caring. I think they can be quiet, as Kara writes so beautifully about in Decoding Boys. Yes, they can be angry, um, but they can also be deeply feeling, thoughtful, sensitive human beings. They just may not know how to express those feelings. And as parents, it's our job to kind of give them an opportunity and or even just to like give them a hug and tell them that we love them. Um, But I think the gender divide between girls and boys on this is unfair to kids of all genders. And I think making room for them all to be Really interesting, thoughtful, loving, deeply feeling people is super important as parents.
1: Okay. I want to say that we ask this question every time and it's so exciting when we get new answers every time and it, they just keep, <laughs> these two were fantastic. No one said them before <laughs> and they're just so enlightening. Dr. Karen Adderson, Vanessa Bennett, what a gift today. Thank you so much. And I want to say to parents who are listening, if having the conversation is hard Give them the podcast because this podcast is going to open such a conversation for you and your teens and your your budding, pubescent children. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank, thank you so you. much for having us. Bye, Steph. Bye, Sue. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article
1: and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate
0: the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com at evergreenpodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your team
1: with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer, Michael D'Aloya, plus producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.